Hi, Sophie. Hi, Sam. Hi, Dave. No. Oh, sorry. Uh, hi, hi. I'm here. Hi, hi. Clearly, someone hasn't watched the podcast before. Oh, uh, no. I, I was just sorry. I was getting some food. You know, I was prepping. I just, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, what's up? <laughs> hi. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Snack Covenant, episode two forty-six. I've got some um, some chocolates ready to go. You know, just that's like, good. Yeah, it's pretty good. You don't talk during this part. Only I talk. Those were sounds of me running away. <laughs> and today, with the help of our very special guest, we'll finally be able to crack the lore of the elusive giant dad. Oh, oh, I got you. Oh my god. Oh, I got you. <laughs> Dave. Mm. Most people who listen to this know who you are. However, we have some people who watch us for our fearsome critters content. So, for the benefit of those people, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Dave. I am part of the YouTube channel Dave Control. I also make videos for GameSpot and other networks. And yeah, I think I'm most known for my Dark Souls and Bloodborne content, but I also make comedy retrospectives and a lot, a lot of, a lot of stuff. Just making, making videos on the YouTubes for a long time. Yeah, since like a decade? Actually, for all the networks I worked for, yeah, over a decade at this point. I think I started making content on YouTube in like 2009. But my channel, what most people know me for, I started in 2013. I'm old. It's great. Silence from Sophie and Sin. <laughs> Are we going to compare ages? We have to. Oh no, no. Hi, Sophie here. In the Snack Covenant, there are three ages of man. People younger than Sin are a fetus. People the same age as Sin are normal aged. And people older than Sin are too old to be dyeing their hair. David Control is a full two years younger than Sin, placing him squarely in the fetus category. Because these ages are relative to sin, David will continue to be a fetus well into his 90s. Back to the podcast. Thank you, David. David or Dave? <laughs> David Control. This is his full name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I go by Dave, so yeah. <laughs> so... We each picked one Dark Souls 2 boss to discuss today. I picked the Pursuer. I picked the Burnt Ivory King. I'm bouncing between the Demon of Song and now the Fume Knight. I like the Demon of Song because no one ever gives Demon of Song enough love. Mm -hmm. mm. But I get that Demon of Song doesn't have the most interesting lore to it, but it's a giant like thing in a frog, and I like it because it's different. Yeah. yeah. But Fume Knight's a more fun boss fight to me, so... I'm going with Demon of Song! All cards in! But how many people expected that? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm thinking let's start with me, because I'm like... 
the least knowledgeable, then we'll move on to Sophie, and Dave Control is like our pièce de résistance. Yes, the person who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, this is how you finish a fashion show, you know? <laughs> Let's first talk about the Pursuer. I picked the Pursuer because I think he has, like, a very interesting design. Mm. And it's, like, kind of amusing. He has, like, this giant, I guess, physique. I thought you were going to say sword. I, I guess big. I wasn't expecting physique to be the word. Yeah, he is big. He's big. <laughs> most bosses from Dark Souls 2 have big physiques. Mm. <laughs> but what makes him amusing is he has a little head. Okay, all right. <laughs> He, he looks like an armored core mech. Oh my god, he does. It's a tiny little head with a little light up, yeah. like one light up he eye. Totally yeah, he does. That's like, I, I wonder if they have some of the armored core you know, artists work on it. Maybe that's why. You know, it's funny. I never really even thought about the his small head until you mentioned it just now. I'm looking at a photo of him. I'm like, it is small. It's like, cannot unsee. <laughs> so, Sin, are you playing Darcel's 2 Vanilla or are you playing Scholar of the First Sin? As a professional gamer, I only play Scholar of the First Sin. Okay, so you're you're dealing with a lot of Pursuer. It's like non-stop Pursuer. Well, she would have to leave Aid. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what I'm doing is a Mary Kondo run, where you gotta make sure the enemies don't respawn. Yeah. Oh, so you're killing them all, what, is it eight times? Or is it is it more in Scholar? I think it's 12. 12? Yeah. Okay, okay. So once you clear out a little area, you move on to the next one. Yeah, Marie Kondo would be very proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well done. Thank you. I can hear her clapping in the background for you. <laughs> She's like, does this bring joy? I listened back to some of them and it's just you running around in circles like, I'm very stressed right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you seen those knights? They're very big. It's very stressful. Yes, they are. They are very big. But their head's a normal size. So they're no pursuer. Uh, some of them are pretty cool. I love the design of the some of them in the Hade. I think it's the Hade Knights actually. The Hade Knights, like I, love, they're some of my favorite characters in the game or enemies in the game, just design wise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the water and the tower and like everything. Like I love all the art design in Dark Souls too. It's so pretty. Yeah. Would your ideal yeah. area then? Would your ideal game just be Majula the game? It would be Dark Souls 2 without any enemies. <laughs> Majul is the town. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But um, there's more to the Pursuer than meets the eye. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ingrid. The Pursuer is a very conflicting character because despite being bulky, he also floats. I think that might be metaphorical. I just love the cat interjecting. Thank you, Ingrid. She's like, yes, yes, tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> when we do Pursuers of Dark Souls, I think we will figure it out then. She's not joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, Dave does not know the podcast. So if, can you tell Dave one of the segments that we have? Um, Sin and I recorded a separate podcast for every single badge in Bloodborne and every single note in Bloodborne. Every single badge and note? Every single one. All right. Yeah. One note per episode. Some of them are like half an hour long. Very well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 
You know, I got like honestly, for the most part, this might be blasphemy, but I actually think the vanilla is better than Scholar of the First Sin. But I do like that the Pursuer shows up a lot more in Scholar of the First Sin. That's one of the things I like more about Scholar is the use of Pursuer. Hi, Sophie here. You might be wondering what words like vanilla and scholar mean when applied to the video game Dark Souls 2. The initial release of Dark Souls 2 is called Dark Souls 2 Vanilla. The special edition of Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 2 Scholar of the First Sin, is called Dark Souls 2 Scholar and includes all the DLC. But if you put the DLC in the vanilla game, it's still Dark Souls 2 Vanilla, but happens to have DLC attached. Despite there being three completely distinct versions of Dark Souls 2, there is not a single one where Shrine of Amana is good. Back to the podcast. Can you, like, elaborate a little on why you think Vanilla's better? I'm just assuming, I could be wrong, that people think Scholar's better, but I like Vanilla more because... Dark Souls 2 Scholar, they changed where all the enemies were essentially, and they added some new things. There are certain areas that are blocked off that you need more items to access, as whereas they were just open in the vanilla game. I think for me, the fact that they blocked off some of the areas, it took away some of the exploration early on, and I didn't see any reason for that. But mainly, there's a lot more mobs in Dark Souls 2 Scholar, and I feel like it was something that was added to make the game more difficult, possibly, but I think it's artificial difficulty in a way. I don't think that really adds to the design. It's just not interesting to me. And I, I felt like the enemy placement was fine in Dark Souls 2 Vanilla. If there was any issue, it might have been some of the enemies were too similar or maybe they just weren't in interesting places at some spots. But I, I don't think extra mobs and extra ambushes was the way to handle it. And that seems to be what Scholar of the Person did. It's just like, here's another mob. Here's another ambush. And I'm like, I don't know, it just didn't add to, for me, anything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's that's my general thoughts. There were some things they did that were cool, like Pursuer, um, I don't know, Sin, if you're aware of this, but like, Pursuer only shows up a couple times in the original game. I'd say, I think there's three locations for Pursuer. Whereas like, in Scholar, Pursuer will randomly show up where you're not expecting, sometimes you're like, oh my god, whoa, whoa! Whoa, and, yeah. and that I like a lot, because that was what Pursuer was supposed to originally be. That was the original intention with Pursuer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of just depends. And most of the changes when it comes to enemy placement, I'm like, eh, did, you really, did it really add anything? I don't think so. I guess I've just played Scholar so much, I can barely remember the differences. Other than there being more stuff in it. I mean, this could also be a bias because I played way more vanilla. So, I mean, like, it could just be that bias where it's like, where I played so much vanilla Dark Souls 2 and I've only played a little bit of Scholar. Because that's when Bloodborne came out and I was like, yeah, right. Well, I want to play Bloodborne. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, another thing about the Pursuer is I appreciate his arsenal. Mm hmm. It's like, he was like, I didn't know what to pack, so I packed everything. <laughs> a sword, arrows, shield, and axe. Yeah. You know, it's funny how, like, everyone notices different things. Because, like, these are things I didn't really think too much about. And, like, now that you're pointing out the detail, I'm like, why didn't I think about that before? That's a great point. Well, that's because doing one note per episode really develops your attention to detail. <laughs> <laughs> 
as for the lore, his lore is pretty mysterious. But from some of his items, you discover that the pursuer hunts down people who are branded by the curse. Basically, he hunts down the undead. With that information in mind, I'm going to assume that he has something to do with the Drunk Lake healthcare system. <laughs> ah, continue. Well, there is, you know, a curse, a pandemic-like thing happening, and he's in charge of containing it. Right. There you go. You know, it's funny, I was, like, looking up some info on him just now, and even, like, in, like, wikis and such, some people think he might be an homage to Armored Core. So, yeah, that's interesting. Well, I mean, he does literally float around like a right. robot. So. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Maybe I haven't, I've only played Armored Core 2. I guess I haven't played enough Armored Core for, for me to just immediately make that connection. Oh, my God! What if inside the tiny head, there's a tiny little cat <laughs> that controls him? Yes. This is the new lore. <laughs> this is it. Uh, makes me think of the man in black. Remember, there's a thing in the guy's head. Dave, you might be too young, but in the oh. 90s, there was this movie no. called Men in Black. It was very good. Oh, well, I've only heard of uh, the one with Chris, uh, Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> Isn't that the only Men in Black? <laughs> Lol. You remind me of my sister, who the other day... <laughs> <laughs> no, she's uh, she's how old is she? She's twenty. She got you know. I have to calculate. I have to be like my age minus fifteen. What year are we? Mm. Did her birthday pass yet? She's twenty one. No, she's twenty. She's gonna turn twenty one this year. You see, it's complicated, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> my sister, she's twenty, and the other day I was talking to her, and I'm like. Have you ever seen the Lethal Weapon movies? She's like, you mean the series? She's never heard of the movies. I thought she meant series of movies when you said, didn't, like, the series. No, yeah. no there's, a, there's like a series. There of, is? I didn't know there was a series. Apparently there's a series. Oh, I just know the movies. Yeah, same. Lethal Weapon. Souls. Now we have to connect the two. <laughs> Would you, which weapon on Pursuer's Back would you say is the most lethal? The Glock? <laughs> Sophie, tell us about the boss you picked. Okay, Sin, you like superhero landings? I love superhero landings. This one has four. Ooh. So I, I picked Burnt Ivory King. Yeah. I feel like this is like a very normie choice. Because it's very, like, epic. <laughs> But it, it feels like there's so much going on in it that they don't do otherwise. Mm -hmm. It's huge in scale. So, like, Dark Souls 2 doesn't really have, like, gimmick bosses in it. When you think about, like, Ceaseless Discharge or Bed of Chaos or Dragon God or something like that. Where there's, like, a, or, like, the, the Ancient Wyvern fight where you drop on it. It doesn't really have anything like that, but it does have a whole lot of boss fights with, like, one weird thing in them that you can basically ignore. So, like, the Pursuer that you were bringing up before... When you fight the Pursuer on the path to Bastille, there is that ballista that if you trigger it can like one-shot the Pursuer, yeah. but you don't need to because you can just straight up duel the Pursuer. Mm -hmm. And there's all this other weird stuff in the in the, the game, like when you're fighting Flexile Sentry, the water is rising very, very slowly, and if it rises up high enough, you slow down. But most people don't know that because they just kill it. Mm -hmm. Or Mitha and the Poison, where you can make the Poison raise and lower. But, like, again, you can do that fight without lowering the poison. There's just all this, like, 
things in it. And I feel like Burnt Ivory King is like sort of like taken to this extreme where there's just so much, so many variables you can latch onto in that fight. Mm-hmm. So like for people who don't know, Burnt Ivory King, it is a fight where you fight like waves of what are basically like Black Knight sort of dudes who come out of these these portals. And then when they've all been fought off, this other portal opens and Burn Ivory King comes out. So it's it's kind of like you can just run to it and fight him, and it is like a free-for-all where you're fighting like 12 guys at once. <laughs> but throughout the preceding area, there are these other knights you can rescue, and you can send them to the fight. So then when you go down, you can bring the knights you rescued with you, and they don't count as summons. <laughs> so they don't, as far as I'm aware, actually raise the boss's hit points. If you rescue all the knights, you go in there and you have four, like, they're not summons, they're just NPCs on your side that you can't damage, and they're all fighting with you. If you summoned, if you summoned two or three, you could have, like, like seven or eight versus eight fight in this huge arena. What makes it also really interesting is that each knight you rescue has a different moveset. So it's not like here are the same dude four times. It's like some of them have magic, some of them have axes, some of them have swords, they all fight differently. The knights who come out of the portals all have different attacks. So like some of them are pyromancers, some of them are like straight up melee guys. And there's so many variables going into it that every time you do it, it's not necessarily going to be the same at all. Because it's like it's like you and seven like AI blobs in a giant <laughs> scrum. So you can end up with like all four of your knights could, could gang up on one guy. They could all split up. You can end up fighting the actual Ivory King alone. You could fight him with, like, three guys or two guys with you. And it, there's just so much in it. And it feels very epic and it feels very climactic. In a way that, like, we talked before about a lot of the Souls bosses, the final boss is sort of, like, there's something a little intentionally anticlimactic about them. Like, think about, like, Alant, who is just, like, a blob. <laughs> or, like, or, like, Gwyn, who is, like charred up and burned or um soul of cinder that's like not even a person it's just this amalgamation of all these dead people who have like come back together to lick the fire whereas with ivory king it almost feels like this is someone's in their head idea of what it would be like to fight Gwyn at the height of his power where it's like this huge like these flames everywhere he has his own legion of these like black knights fighting you and then you've got your knights fighting him and it's it's the closest you get to like a battle i suppose in the series and even the way the arena works just aesthetically like it's this huge pool of lava but it's under a dome of ice so you get this sense of like the ice and the fire sort of like crashing into each other and like struggling against each other in a way that like like dark souls 3 did that thing with the profaned flame yeah where they make a big deal oh there's a profaned flame there's flame underneath like the frozen land of irithyll but it's just talked about I don't get a sense that there is flame underneath Aerithyll that is sort of like eating it up. Whereas if you go to, to LAM Lois, when you go underneath that, like the the presence of like this huge churning mass of lava, that's like you can, oh, the ice is actually trying to hold this thing at bay. Yeah. Yeah. There's something very, very grand about it that I don't think the series does again because it prefers to have one-on-one duels with like an important character rather than like this is like the battle to end all battles sort of deal so right if it's got this like gossip dammering thing going on that's like really interesting i also i like too with that character you know you look at his story and he was actually like really a stand-up character i mean i guess it's like artorius too who is stand-up until being corrupted you know it's similar in a way where 
Mm. You know, he founded the Elian Lois essentially, built that whole castle and everything around it to contain the Chaos Flame. And like all of his soldiers, he was like, hey, uh, like, even if I become corrupted, which might inevitably happen, he, he wanted them and instructed them to kill him. You know, he was willing to sacrifice everything, essentially. So, I don't know, I think just that adds to the grandiose of it as well that you're discussing. Yeah, yeah, and the way that he is Gwyn-like and that, like, I will give myself to the flame. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like Artorius, like Gwyn, he's like this, yeah, there, there's a lot, there's a lot there. And, like, he he's so cool that the child of Manus, like, feels sorry for him. Yeah. 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 There's actually a really interesting lore video made about... The Ivory King by a YouTuber called David Control. Oh, right. David Control. I don't know this YouTuber. Who's this? Yeah. <laughs> this is the less professional Dave Control. <laughs> it's like off-brand. Off-brand Dave Control. Yeah. yeah. It's like go to a dollar store, there's like David Control. <laughs> He's packed with like a Minecraft figure and Superman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny, I was actually waiting for you to say, like, some new lore video I didn't know. I was like, oh, yeah, what, what video should I watch? I was actually waiting for... Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I th- think, like, for me, the DLC, all of the DLC is my favorite part of Dark Souls 2. You know, the Ivory King, like, the whole winter frozen tundra area, not not the best. But outside that, L.E.M. Lois itself was so well yeah. done. And as you yeah. said, the Burnt Ivory King, it's just a really great finale to the series and a way to finish it off or series i mean the game um a series of dlcs but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it really it really stands up yeah you compare it to like the final boss of the actual game which depending on the version used it's either like skeleton lady who stands still yeah <laughs> or a giant mass of tentacles that just goes <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes it goes <laughs> Sophie, since we won't be able to see what you just did, because this is an audio medium, could you please describe slow moving tentacles hitting things? <laughs> so now we come to Dave. It's it's David Control, please, <laughs> if you will. David Control. <laughs> You know, I'm still like bouncing back and forth because after Sophie gave this like amazing, grandiose speech about the Burnt Ivory King, I'm like, <laughs> now I feel bad just picking the demon of song. Because here's the thing for me, where it's like Dark Souls 2, the common criticism is that a lot of the bosses are big knights in suit of armor that you fight. And in Dark Souls 1, Artorius was my favorite boss, but it was also different in Dark Souls 1. Whereas Dark Souls 2, I think about my favorite boss fights it's like, okay, I, I love the Fume Knights. That, I love that. I like, Sir Alone was one I was thinking about. Lost Sinner for me in the, uh, before the DLCs was a, really one of my favorites. And then uh, I like the Demon of Song a lot because it was so different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For Dark Souls 2, because so many of them were like big suit of armor bosses, the Demon of Song was something so different. And like the fact that it's like, it turns out that's what's making the singing noise when you come to it. And it was just something I wasn't expecting. And it, it's not like the most challenging boss, you know, like once you figure it out, it opens its flap and the demon inside comes out or, and you can hit its face. You know, it's like, it's pretty easy to dodge and avoid, but but I just I just liked how grotesque it was. I liked how different it was. The fact that it's like this interesting frog monster thing with the demon inside that's singing. 
Uh, I just, I love those elements about it, but it's not like, lore-wise, it's not the most fascinating of them. I, I don't think. Dave, let me stop you right there. Okay, okay. In addition to having notes of Bloodborne, we have a segment called Enemies of Bloodborne, yeah. where we look at one enemy per episode as suggested mm. by our viewers. Yeah. And one of the suggestions was the Flaming Boulder. Yeah. So we have an episode on the Flaming Boulder. So what you're telling me is that you can really dig into every little thing about the Demon of Song. I think if the Flaming Boulder has its own lore episode on YouTube, Demon of Song definitely deserves a minute or two. That's true. That's true. The other reason it's hard for me, though, is that The Lost Sinner was the moment for me where I had that, like, oh, snap. This is connected to Dark Souls 1 for real. Because when you see the, the chaos bug from the Witch of Isolate boss fight crawl into its eyeball, or, or the mask, I was like, oh my god! Oh my, like, I remember the first time I played it, I was like, because I, I was digging Dark Souls 2. I mean, it felt different, yeah. I was still digging it, but that was the one I was like, whoa! Whoa! Whoa, what is this? And it was so exciting, and I and then, like, it was this great, like, for, to me, the first time I fought the Lost Sinner was a challenging boss fight. And then when I figured it out, Lost Sinner was pretty easy. But like the first time I fought it, I was like, "What? Well, this is this is challenging. This is really raising up the level a bit." Um, and I just like like the fact that she's wearing the like the interesting mask and just has this cool look, dragging a sword, and it's this prisoner that's like been like tucked away, presumably for the sin of. I, I would assume the Chaos Flame, because that's the connection to the Witch of Isolith. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it has like this interesting background to her and like, that's where I'm, I contend with those two. They, they both have special places in my heart. We're gonna make an exception for Dave. David. I, already, I guess I already talked about two, I just made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I just forced it in there. This is my way to talk about two. <laughs> there we go, perfect. Can I talk about Skeleton Lords? Yes, please. Okay, like, I... Skeleton Lords are, like, a, an also-ran boss. No one really has problems with them. But, like, yeah. I think it's neat that there's three of them, and you got to kill all the skeletons. But if you rush to kill... Every time you kill one of the lords, it spawns a bunch of more skeletons. So you sort of have to manage it. Yeah. It's like, it's like it's nothing, but it's it's there. Like, it's... It's like one of the criticisms I have of Rom... Yeah. Is that, like... Rom, you, to look at it, you would think, okay, this boss is like, I have to kill the little spiders and then kill the big spiders. If I try to fight the big spider with little spiders, little spiders will kill me. But the big spider shoots meteors at you. Yeah. And if you're locked onto the little spiders, they will hit you. So I feel it becomes this like a little too hectic, I think, for it to be a risk reward thing. Yeah. Because the way it's set up, there is too much randomness for the risk-reward thing to work out. Rom is kind of like Phalanx, in that it's like the central thing, and then you have all these little things around it, and you can't hit them in the front. And it's like, okay, but Phalanx can't also shoot you. And Phalanx could, sh Phalanx could shoot things that one-shotted you. It would be very different. Whereas with Skeleton Lords, like, it's the same thing. It's a risk-reward thing. Like, you can, the Lords are pretty powerful, but if you rush and kill all three of them immediately, you're going to contend with, like, a giant mob of skeletons. So I feel like that manages risk-reward, like, way better than most bosses in the series. But also, it's like, it, it goes over in, like, a couple of minutes. You just shoot it. Yeah, I, I, have, a, yeah. I have a soft spot for Skeleton Lords. 
I mean, I, that is interesting. Everything you described is great, but also Skeleton Lords was part of the beta for Dark Souls 2. Mm. It was it was Skeleton Lords and the Executioner's mm-hmm. Chariot. And yeah. I think of the two, the first one that I beat was the Skeleton Lords. So it's just like, I was like, and with the beta, you had that limited amount of time to play because it was a beta. They, they only gave you a bit. And I was like, I, I felt super stressed out, especially as a YouTuber. It's like, oh my God, I better, I better get good footage. And when I finally, <laughs> when I beat the Skeleton Lords, I was like, Oh, I feel so vindicated. I feel so vindicated. <laughs> Not, I'm allowed to be a Dark Souls YouTuber. Yeah. I beat one of the bosses. Um, like, if I hadn't beaten either of them in the time limit, I would have been, like, I'm the worst Dark Souls YouTuber ever. So, like, uh, I, I have a soft spot with Skeleton Lords just because it was the one that I was able... The first one that I beat, and I was like, okay, yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay at this game. Yeah. yeah. And a Chariot, again, like, the Chariot, it's not particularly difficult, but it's like there's nothing else like this in the series. Yeah. This is so strange. With the chariot, you were saying that there wasn't really a gimmick boss in Dark Souls 2, but I, I guess the chariot really is the most of them. I don't mind the gimmick bosses so much. A lot of people hate them, but I think it adds variety. I'm like, all right, whatever, it's different. Yeah. I feel like 2, two does a good job of integrating that, though, because it's like there'll be, there will be a gimmick to the fight, but it's something you can probably you don't actually have to engage with it will just like a lot of the bot like skeleton lords is a good example the bosses in dark souls 2 a lot of them aren't necessarily like a big deal boss it's just like here's a cool encounter yeah mm-hmm. yeah you're like, right here's a bunch of skeletons yeah here's a thing along the way it's like a set piece it's very different in that way like you said it, it really is like it feels like just a larger encounter as opposed to ooh, this is the big boss yeah like prowling magus is another one where it's like yeah. Here's just a bunch of guys in a church. And if you try to vadi it and be like, what's the significance of the Prowling Magus? There really isn't one. There's just some guys in a church. But it's like a cool little, you gotta go, it's like a, not, not a, it's like a mini boss kind of deal. You gotta just get through this thing. I love how vadi is the synonym for overanalyzing lore. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like, you, you know, you know, in Bloodborne in Mensis, there's the, the, the like guy on the bridge, Edgar? Yeah. How long did we get out of him? Was it like 40, 45 minutes? But Sophie, you're forgetting one important element of that podcast. The podcast turned into me reading self-published werewolf porn on Amazon. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I love it. Vardy doesn't do that for you, does he? <laughs> no, to be fair, he doesn't. And I might have a preference towards the werewolf porn. Mm. <laughs> well, then... You'll love episode 69 of the Snack Covenant. Yes. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, it was a special. We just, uh, we got some werewolf literature and <laughs> rated different books. It's good. I love it. You can't delete things from your Kindle library once you buy them, so... <laughs> um, this is like the Scarlet Letter branding. Oh no. <laughs> This is your dark side. Yeah, yeah. Can't Kindle private it? No. (laughs) It's there forever. That's good. It'll just remind you to reread it at points. (laughs) Sophie, do the outro. 
That was The Snack Covenant episode 246, Dark Souls 2 Bosses with David Control Live. <laughs> David Control, if you want to find you, where should they look? Uh, search David Control on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, Super yeah. David Control is where I'm putting all my favorite content now every week. Mm. And uh, yeah. I also work for GameSpot. It's a little unknown yeah. uh, crevice of yeah. the video game sphere that you can find by searching yeah. game and not stop. Not stop! Stop calling it GameStop! <laughs> Alright. Yeah. And if people look for David Control and they find Dave Control, different person? Different person. Imitation, terrible content. Yeah. He's a wannabe yeah. body. Don't watch any yeah. of his stuff. It's terrible. I wouldn't click on it, frankly. <laughs> well, thank you for coming, Dave. And thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Oh, Aww. thank you. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Sin. And thank you everyone for listening and see y'all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.